Welcome everyone, it's Tony Nash back with Bugged and Unplanned and today I have Mark Carter, new author. Mark, it's your first book, is it? Second, second book. First with Wiley though, first with Wiley. Congratulations, welcome to the show. Thanks, great to be here, Tony. Thanks for having me on. And his book is called Add Value and I'll give you the, the subtitle, Discover Your Values, Find Your Worth, Gain Fulfillment in Your Personal and Professional Life. Now, who couldn't ask for anything more than that, especially after 2020 and the year that we've all gone through. I think these are some of the things that probably all of us are asking ourselves as we as we isolate at home, as we as we look at how we perhaps want to re, re kind of engineer and and repurpose the, our lives. Is it something that um, you, were you writing the book while this year was on? How did that all shake out? And you know, it's funny. I'd actually, people think that I was writing the book in this year, but it's a body of work I've been working on for a long time. And we finished the writing of it at the end of last year. Um, it just great timing for the model to come out. In fact, I did my, an overview of the model at a TEDx talk last year. So it's been in the works. I think what was beautiful though, is the fact we had finished writing the book before this year, because if, if we were still working on it when this year was on, the temptation might have been to weave in more of the COVID challenges. And I think the model is more powerful because it's not written about COVID. It's kind of more relevant, though, because of that anyway. So, yeah, the timing's really good, but it was done before this year, funnily enough. It's interesting. You've used the uh, title Add Value, which is very corporate. Like People uh, talk about it. We've got to add value. If you're adding value, then your your business is progressing and then people want to and want to transact with you, engage with you. But you've, from the way that I've kind of read the the way that the, the book is kind of positioned, it sounds like it's very personal. It's more about um, us, not, not about corporations. Yes, it is. And that, that was a deliberate piece. So the book's very much written for individuals. And behind the book, I, there's, I've got keynotes and programs that bring the book to life for businesses, for things like customer experience, employee experience, ethical sales and the likes. However, the book is written for an individual first and foremost in their world. And the, the, we landed on Add Value because it's a label, though, that people use all the time. Individuals, even if you look at status updates on social channels and the likes, you just see this label, Add Value, Add Value, Add Value. And so it's just a label that... It made sense that it crossed over for both personal and professional, so it worked quite well. We thought as a title, and and you you kind of uh, I didn't it didn't go past me. You said something before the model that we've been working on, or that you've yeah. been working on. So, yeah. what what does that mean that there's a model? Yeah, so it's a framework, if you like. It's it's a book, but the the book is based on a framework of five fundamental elements. And then how we perceive our world and how others perceive their world and how we can then add value to our own world or add value to the lives of others is a better understanding of these five elements and the four causes for each. And it's human nature, right? We might have biases or filters that we look at our world through. So we have blind spots. And if we're trying to communicate with others, we're maybe not getting our message across as powerfully or we're misunderstanding. So that's why the model or the framework just helps really expand our perception of of the concept of values and value. And, and so you've been obviously going down this um, line of, of you know, I guess it's a personal journey of, of discovering how we do that and to put a book together, it doesn't, you know, you just don't sit at a keyboard 
and start typing it and go, oh, yeah, that's that's why, you know, not, it's not a crime fiction or anything like that. You've kind of worked on it. So how many years have you been kind of immersing yourself in this kind of yeah. it's, psychology? It's a yeah, I mean, I've been chipping away at this one probably 16, 17 years. It, it, the idea first planted when I was coaching people in business, funnily enough, and I started asking a question. It's a question I opened the book with. It's a question I opened my TEDx talk with, which is define value for me, just as a, an open question to see what people's answers are. And it was people's answers to that question all those years ago that kept me asking. And then slowly and steadily, it's not like I've been hardcore doing only this and nothing but, but I've been chipping away and kind of that's interesting, this piece in here, until I had this fuller picture or fuller framework, which then allowed me to build models that I could work with businesses on, but obviously mm. now also help individuals. So yeah, it's just been chipping away over a long period of time. As you say, to, you know what it's like to write a book, I think of substance. So you see these labels, write a book in six weeks. And I kind of go, I don't know what that's going to be like, you know, because I don't know. It's not to say it's going to be good or bad. But my experience is it takes a lot more than six weeks to pull together research, depth, substance, diligence, and then the writing done well. So writing a book and TEDx, I mean, that's obviously um, two things that you've done. But how do you actually, um, you know, make money? I mean, are you consulting for companies or people? Are you you a personal coach? What, What do you do? Yeah, so I'm. Um, my background's a professional in learning and development for over 20 years. And so, yes, I consult. I do a lot of on the speaking circuit and training programs and then coaching. So those are the main aspects of my work. And then obviously things like the books make sense. You know, I know there's people in this world that are authors. That's what they are. They're an author. Their whole living is author. They They hide you know, behind scenes and they churn out the books. I'm more front. I do the front facing programs and keynotes and then I do the books because I enjoy doing them. And they, so it's kind of chips into those bodies of work that I deliver. And you say the word books. So <laughs> where, whereabouts are you originally from? Because, you know, books is uh, the business that I'm in. We're not in in books, but um, tell us a bit about your background. It's, It's a funny one, right? Is when people try to pick my accent, it's something that I'm asked often, like, where are you from? I was born in England. I was raised in Scotland and then did 10 years in Europe before I moved to Australia. So, but I was raised in Scotland. And so, the, and that's an example there, right? Have a look at the cookbook, that double O, that's the Scottish yeah. coming out with a double O. Certain right. words, purple book, you know, certain words, just the Scottish slang mm-hmm. comes out. I love that you picked up on that. I should have known you would, Tony. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's you know the, it's where we all get curious because I guess a lot of um, you know when people read a book like yours and and apply themselves to going through the chapters and 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 you know re-engineering who they are and how they could be of more value, um, you want to kind of I guess know who the person is and and why they uh, I mean and, and not to idolize you or anything. It's, you're a, you're a practitioner. You're you're a coach. You're helping someone um, articulate what they want to do next, and and so therefore it's interesting just to know. Okay, I'm kind of that's the that's the origins of of that person because obviously you've got a collage now, and now we know you've got a collage of experience of uh, Europe, um, Scotland, and <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Australia. So so when when you do your keynotes and you you see people and you're working with an organization. What are some of the, the like, oh, my God, you know, here we go again, you know, um, 
add value 101 kind of you know, what do we need to be thinking about as some of the core things that you you just see it's so obvious that nobody is is considering engaging how are we self-sabotaging and what can we do to perhaps you know get more out of our day yeah, I think the biggest thing there, the the timing for the book's quite well, not just because of 2020, but because of the age that we're in, being the digital age. And so really the challenge that we face is how do we maintain strong human connection while balancing sometimes our addiction to tech, right? And our overuse of tech, like keeping that connection and not over-reliance on technology. And so I think that's one aspect that the model really brings to life is it highlights examples of that. You know, I mean, I use stories. I don't know if you've heard of Uber Butler. He's a great kid. He's kind of fun, but he keeps showing the world how easy it is to manipulate and create a profile of substance from thin air. Like he turned his garden shed in London to a restaurant, a hypothetical restaurant, and got it to number one spot on TripAdvisor through fake reviews, right? And then he decided he's going to open for a night and have and have people pay money where he's serving them cheap noodles and they're raving about this boutique experience you know was it was was he on the top of his of his house looking down at the shed and yeah uh, I think, yeah i think yeah, he was I, I saw him speak at um online retail um or one of the retail events at the beginning of last year i think or at the end of la- towards the middle of last year so i know exactly who you mean yeah he's a bit yeah. of a character young guy yeah. Uh, yeah, he is. And, but he keeps doing it, right? And he does it tongue-in-cheek. He did the same. He went to markets in London and bought these jeans, Giorgio Paviani. Like, obviously, a play on an Italian name. Bought six pairs and blagged his way into Paris Fashion Week. And he managed to get this brand right being seen. And then he found who the real owner of the brand was. And he's going, this is what you could do. And then he was getting these media interviews worldwide where he then sent fakes. He didn't want to do them. So he sent other people to pretend to be him. And he just keeps showing us time and time again how easy it is to manipulate what's on digital. But then you take the other side of that, you know, and this is all I kind of use these examples in the book. In a business sense, we're overvaluing companies quickly. We put people on pedestals quickly because of the profile or perception we perceive through digital. But is it real, right? Elizabeth Holmes, out for blood in Silicon Valley, you know, the Theranos, that whole debacle. I mean, this business gets ramped up quickly, valuation in the billions, but the technology doesn't actually work. At some point, they knew that they kept going anyway. And this is so this is what I mean by this balancing of digital, what we believe, what we see, what we think, what we engage with on digital and versus what's real world. That's where I think the model and the ideas really come into play to help just better navigate that to not be so submersed in tech that we're not living our real world experience. That's one of the big takeouts, I think. So I'm I'm looking at the chapter headings um, here for you, the six chapters you've got and um, personal value, value, tangible value, emotional service, relationship, tying it all together. Is there is there something to give us a bit of an insight here? Is, are you giving us a little bit more of a, an insight into the way the world is working, therefore how you can be – it's kind of like, you know, you roll the dice and you think you're going to move around the board and it's trivial pursuit or something, and then you're why am I getting anywhere? Well, because it's changed to monopoly and – and that's why you're you're actually not getting any results. So are you are you doing a lot here in your book to kind of um, teach us how we can add value in the world that we're in in the 2020s? Is that 
Is that the premise? That's exactly it. Although I'll go back to something you said. The starting point is how do we look at ourselves in the world? First and foremost, not the world and our part in it. So the model, so those elements, right? And I've written the book. I base it on a, it's somewhat philosophical as well. You know, we and I relate the those five elements to the elements we know, water, earth, air, fire. And it was Aristotle came up with the fifth element called the ether. And I relate those five elements to those, right? The ether is this magical element that he said it explains otherworldly things that are happening. The fifth element is you as a person. If you've seen movies, if you're a movie buff like me, Luke Besson, his movie, The Fifth Element, Mila Jovovich was the fifth element that brought the other four to life. And it's the same with the model. Personal value, without you, if you don't understand yourself and how you work, there is no value to the world anyway. So personal value is understanding oneself, which then was my interplay with the world. Tangible value is that value language of business when you said like add value. And that's typically measured through dollars, percentages, numbers, and time, right? It's the spreadsheets. It's the results. So that's, that's like earth. It's tangible. You can measure it. You can point it and look at it. Emotion, emotional value, though, is where a lot of the gold lives. In fact, Daniel Kahneman got a Nobel Prize in 2002 for evidencing that even the most logical people do much of their decision making at a subconscious or emotional level. Water is the universal symbol for emotion. Therefore, emotional value. And how can we build, bring that to life? And we do that through sensory engagement through telling better stories, through personalization, through innovation. Service value, there's a quote I've always loved and I relate to this, it's by Muhammad Ali. Service to others is the rent you pay for your room here on earth. And service value, and we've seen, I'm sure you were, Tony, in your time in business as well, corporate social responsibility is really elevated in importance in the last decade or so. Service value, though, is like air. It's an airborne Alexa because it's done person to person. And that's really, am I delivering solutions, not just selling stuff? Am I delivering long-term possibilities? Am I thinking about my impact on others, the community, and the environment? So that's service value. And then relationship value. You know, my favorite TED talk is actually by a, a director of a study, the longest study of adult development, which has been going on for 80 years or so, where they found the secret to a happy life really is meaningful, close relationships to us. Therefore, and that's like the warmth of the relationships. That's the fire, element of fire. And that's relationship value. How do we build more meaningful relationships? And so the five elements are those kind of five main buckets. And they're all interlinked. It's not like they're a living isolation. They're all interlinked. But we have blind spots or we have favored filters. You know, if you think about in business, somebody that's very data driven has a tendency to look for how can I measure this? but they don't necessarily, they might have a blind spot in some of the other areas. So the book is just laying out this framework and model to better understand how every individual functions, including myself, and how my I interplay that then with my broader world, be it personally or professionally. Mm. So I'm talking to Mark Carter, the author of Add Value, a TEDx speaker, um, keynote speaker, um, and consultant, motivator, coach, and you've got your new book, Add Value, Mark. And when, obviously, and by the way, go out and ask your local bookshop whether they've got it and buy it from them. And if you don't have a bookstore nearby, of course, Booktopia is always here. Or if, or if um, you're in isolation and wear it, uh, then please come online and, and buy it. It came out on the 1st of October. So when, when you... Um, when you talk about these things and you work with people, 
is it do you find that uh, these these concepts are difficult for people to grapple with or do they kind of do they get one or two of those elements or three of the elements and then there's a fourth one that is just oh my god I, they're just it's a it's a, just a they don't get it and therefore um, or is it pretty simple is it pretty kindergarten kind of stuff that you can just continue to build on and as time goes by um, you you kind of build a muscle around it you build some strength around each one tell us about about how you got you, uh, you've obviously been doing it for a while and worked on it yourself but you work with other people who have who you've kind of introduced to the the concepts how's that gone yeah, I love how you said there your expression, is it like a muscle you build on? Because that's exactly the case. All the concepts are relatable. And I think at the core, I'm a storyteller. So I use examples and stories that make them all of them easy to relate to. And also remember that we're hardwired with a lot of this stuff, but by the nature of being human. It's how well we're versed and how well we use it. It's, and that's where, it, like the brain, right? It's a muscle. The more you train it, the stronger it grows. The more we're aware and do these things with conscious effort, then the more value we add to our own lives and the lives of others. Um, and so all of them, I would say, when, when I train the concepts out, all of them are ones that people find easily relatable. Some are ones they find they have a natural tendency for or even a gift to lean into than others because it's just how they function is more naturally that. And if you take one of them alone, like this concept of storytelling is one of them, right? I mean, the power of storytelling is a, you know, for, I'm sure you understand our, our world is built on it. H history is created through it. Cultures built through it. Legends passed on through storytelling. We watch movies, stories. We read books, stories. We hang out with our friends and tell what? Stories. So storytelling is, and yet we know that there's masterful ways of storytelling that really engage in a different manner. And so there's skills that we can learn around improving it, improving that muscle, if you like. And that's true for all of them. That's true for all of them. And, you know, in, in the writing and the model, it's funny you say, so, so for myself, I still have, um, you know, not blind spots, but I have elements that I'm weaker in than others. You know, I, I have, uh, when it comes to metrics and numbers, I know, I know the importance of them, but any idea of a budget is a great suggestion to me. It's not something I religiously stick to, you know, it's just because I'm more into that creative mind. So I have to learn to tether that a little bit. So it's it, by having that awareness, all of it's relatable. We can dive back into the model and just keep chipping away and improve our skills gradually across each component and the ones that resonate and sing to us most. So, um, you know, you're, people are as strong as their weakest link. So, so is that something that you also see as well? Like if someone really just worked on their emotions and it's just they're, they're really in touch with their, their water and, um, and, and they're very um, perhaps Byron Bay, I don't know, it's hard to find the right word here, but they've spent a lot of time meditating perhaps and and therefore, when you know when the proverbial hits the the fan, that they're they're the calmest person. But if they haven't worked on air or the you know, service, or they haven't worked on earth, tangible, is do you find that um, you're really as strong as your weakest link there? So so therefore, it's it's you got to you got to work on all of them. You've got to be a bit of a decathlete on these things to to get the best out of all the other values that you've that make up the, the model? I, th I think here's what I'd say to that is I think all of them have a place and somebody's strong in one area. Let's take a business. You might have people in a business that really get and work on emotional values, who they are. And so they can add great ideas to that with a business and how they build out those emotional touch points. 
Conversely, you've got people in a business that are very numbers, data, outcome driven. And that idea then of tangible value of reading through those important data number sets is critical. So when you're dealing on a business level, the beautiful thing is you can use the talent around to build out a playbook where you encompass more of these. In an, in an individual sense, it's it's more, you know, it's like any set of natural gifts or skills. Like this is behavior sciences 101. Nobody's great at everything. We've all got things we're great at. We've all got things we can improve. So this is just stretching our improvement in those areas. You know, for the person that doesn't really relate easily to budgets, dollars, or things like that, a greater awareness, a little bit of energy and focus means maybe I can bring that a bit more into balance in my world. Or... Maybe then when I'm relating to other people, I can now talk to them in a language they more appreciate and understand. Otherwise, we don't connect as easily. So it's it's helping our communication. It's helping with improving different areas of our life at a level that is appropriate, I guess. Does that mm. make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. So so when you, um, you've you launched your book, it's out there. Um, is that a scary thing to to kind of lay it all out in front of you and go, okay, um, you know, come and get it, or how's how's the launch gone? It, especially given Victoria was in lockdown and and the rest of the country is only just starting to open up. Um, for those that are listening, this was recorded just towards the end of November, and and so therefore only in the last twenty four hours, Queensland has opened up the border to New South Wales, and Victoria is going to come soon. So um, just to put timing in context, if you're listening to this later on or in a year's time or so um so how's it how's the yeah how's, how's the baby going that's a great question it's tough it's a tough win and you get it because it's the state of year so we finished the book writing in november we finished editing and it was going to launch originally in june but in march literally the only concession i made to the writing was i included two sentences in my acknowledgements that hey we're as we're about to go to print we're going into this challenge of lockdown and and that's going to be interesting so we made a call to push the publication back to October. And then you're throwing a dart at the board, right? What's it going to be like in October if you think back to March? And in context then, I mean, I, as a speaker, my main outlet is live events. I would have been in front of audiences for the months leading up to the launch. You're already planting the seed. I've had none of that. None. So I've had a year with no live events in a year where there's so much noise on digital that trying to get that cut through is hard where people have got so many other challenges going on. So it's, it's been tough, Tony, it's been very tough, you know, and you're relying on a literally a digital launch. You're like, you're launching uh, a global boot launch from a lockdown lounge in, in Melbourne. Um, and yeah, it was funny because when we first, when it went out in October, Sydney was a bit more open. Uh, people were starting to see the book on the shelves there, but it was very surreal to me because it was, it just wasn't my reality down here at all, you know? So um, it's, it's a steady, a continual steady uh, energy a drive for me right now. That's that's the main thing. The one good thing is that we the interest of the model from media has been very strong, very good. So I've been working with Scott who who worked at Wiley and he's navigated that. And I think to your point earlier, I think the the media kind of get it because the timing for the concept works really well because we've been in this time where people have been forced to reflect on their world, their values, and what's really important. So I think from that perspective, the media interest is strong, but it continues to be a, yeah, a, a passion project of love and energy just driving that right now because we're nowhere near back to normal events, right? It's one of those um, business books. Um, it's not about um, uh, hitting the shelves. 
and going gangbusters in the first in in the first month or so. The best business books um, that have ever been written is because they have sold over so many years um, and have been relevant for so long. So it's not um, the 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 content um, and the book is is ready whenever the person's ready. So um, it's that's just okay. So it's a bit of a it's a slow start to the race. The gun didn't go off and and everyone's gone crazy and hand over fist to buy them. But a good book is a good book. And that's what I've seen as a as a seller of books now for almost 17 years is that um, if it's a classic, then just a, you you just have to allow it. It's a, plant the seed and yes, let and and let it um let it grow. Let um, it grow at a pace that it grows at, right? I I think that's where I kind of feel with it as well. That's what's been rewarding, though, is like having people from overseas as well, like in the UK, that you don't know, write to you and go, "Wow, I'm really loving the book. It makes so much." So you know, and that's re- that's the rewarding part where you know you're kind of doing something that's walking the talk of the title, right? Add value to people as well. That's what it's about, hopefully. So, yeah, it, it, whatever, however, however it takes, whatever direction that takes, it takes, right? Yeah, so you've just triggered something in me that I definitely have to ask. Then, so when you've you you know born in England, grew up in Scotland, obviously you've got a lot of family. I can only imagine you've got family and friends in Scotland. Which part of Scotland? Actually, Edinburgh. Very few, though. Edinburgh. I grew up just outside Edinburgh in a place called South Queensferry, where the bridges are. It's very well known for the Fourth Bridge, the very old rail bridge there. It's about uh-huh. hundred forty. Yeah. So, but there, you got a lot of family and friends still over there, right? Uh, UK, not so much Scotland. I've got no family in Scotland now. I've got quite a small family as well, Tony. And there, you know, so my family a bit scattered. What's remains them, and mm-hmm. I also have English heritage. So I had some Scottish heritage, but I moved to Scotland from England. Right. So I was always a Sassanac growing up. It's actually funnily enough, I use stories like that in the book. Funnily enough, right? Um, yeah. So small family over there, and uh, yeah. my mum's actually down in NZ. Oh, okay. And but obviously you grew up with you know, friends that you went to school with and so forth. So when when they think of, you know, Mark from back, you know, high school days and they go, What the hell? You know, there's no way that he's some sort of, you know, guru on on improving yourself or <laughs> or you know, you know, what do they say when they read it? They see that you've got a book out like this and they go, There's just I mean, because I ask that because you know, I we just had our 40 years high school reunion and, and I was, um, the, you know, the, the kid that uh, really struggled at school. I was the youngest. I got 56% in my HSC. I went to university and mastered in space invaders and snooker and found an accounting and economics and dropped out and became the mail boy at the NRMA, which is like the RACV in, in Victoria. And, um, and so when, you know, when I catch up with friends and they go, yeah, booktopia, um, we're going to list on the ASX next week and, and over 200 staff, 200 million in revenue. It's just like, how the hell? There's no way that guy would, from what I remember in school, was going to ever be, you know, running a company yeah. of that kind of size. So <laughs> uh, I, I appreciate the fact that you know, the, there's, you know, some people kind of get lucky or fluke it or just keep persisting, asking the question or, which is really what happened to me. I just, I just got obsessed about, um, customers and business and selling. I love, I love selling. So what do they say to you when they see that you've got a book out and, and you've got, um, you're an expert in this area, they're going, you're joking or, or do they, do they, do they see it in you? Although when you were younger as well, did they have this? No, no, he was always going to, he was always kind of 
you know, um, t taking things to the limit? What? How do how do they see that? That is, that is actually a really great question, and I don't think anybody's asked me that. It's the first time it has. Now, let, I, and there's a couple of ways to answer that because the first is my pool of friends that I'm still in touch with from school is very small. My closest friend, you know, as I reflect on this often, my, my closest friend who was like my, his house was my second home, right? And when I left Scotland, we, we stayed in touch, but it wasn't as in touch as other people. And he passed away actually when he just turned 40. And so, you know, if you, you relate back to your childhood years and the people that your friends in school that then are your friends for life, that person for me died and I don't have that person around. Having said that, there's people from my school years that were in that circle and I've reconnected with through digital tools, but we're not in each other's worlds on a day to day. <laughs> and it's almost like I've dropped off radar. I've off lived my life and now I've reemerged and through LinkedIn, people are seeing me and it's more, they look at now what I do and go, wow, I had somebody just recently actually from school, two of them write, write and go, wow, you're like a really, really good presenter. And so I think, yes, to some degree, but it's not because they, they're shocked or surprised. It's because they haven't seen, they, 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 they don't know who I am. To be quite frank, Scotland, living in Scotland feels like somebody else's life, even to me. You know, I know it has had a massive impact and this comes out in elements I write in the book. Um, you know, how can you live somewhere from the age of four until 21? That's the year you're growing and learning. A lot of who you are is in that, in that core. So it's very much a part of me, but I, I'm not, um, I look at that and go, wow, it feels even to me like a completely different life. And even to my years in Europe working with Kentucky, I think people from those days as well, they look at me because they don't really understand the evolution in two decades that happens when you're not in that environment, you're in another one, the personal evolution that happens that makes you who you are. And so they almost like are skipping. I think there are some people in certain parts of my world that would be, that are surprised going, wow. Look at what you're doing now. I wouldn't necessarily have picked that, but that's because they've not seen the 20 years evolution in between. Yeah, I think um, that's when I reflect on <coughs> this conversation, I think that's one of the things that I'm going to, um, it's going to resonate with me is that, um, is that most of the, most of who we are later on in life is learned and that it's how we, we apply ourselves, and I think the idea of adding value to me is something that I've always talked about in business for myself. Um, you know, as a when someone, I'll give you an example. When someone comes in and resigns, um, having worked here, and I know a lot of business owners will go, "How can we keep you to stay?" I mean, we still go through that probably as well. You know how you know what you know, but. I'm genuinely excited. And for those that have worked me, with me before, they're probably quite astonished. It's like, wow, where are you going next? Because yeah. my, my thing with Booktopia is if I want people to come in here and learn things that they can then go off somewhere else and be of more value, be more value to themselves, to their family, and to the company that they work for next. So I, I've never been in a position where I'm trying to hold on to people and yeah. if I hold on to them, right, and in fear of them leaving, so when someone resigns, it's like, wow, my God, what, where are you going next? Uh, and and it really comes from that. And I was a recruiter for 14 years, so I pinched people from companies and put them in other companies and made money out of doing that. And so I, I know that people come and go. And therefore, um, to me, 
uh, I was always excited about trying to get someone into a role. Like it really irritated me that a company would give me a recruitment spec, a, you know, a, a description for a job, and and I say, okay, what are you looking for? And they'd give me a, you know, I was in IT recruitment, so they give me like a recipe of five years of this, three years of that, blah 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 blah, all these things, right? And I said, okay, right, got it. What what are they going to be learning? You know, or what are they? You know, what are they going to? You know, what happens if they don't have all of that? Oh, no, no, we need all of that. What are they going to learn? Oh, no, nothing. I said, well, why are they going to join you? I oh, will pay them more. It's not adding value. It's just giving them more money. And so I'm much more interested in hiring people who can come into our organization and learn lots of things. And then, and, and that really comes down to your book. And, and what you're talking about here is the, how can you add value? And yeah. what, what does that mean? What does it mean to add value? And to me, there's many things. It's personally... It's uh, within the organization for your customers, um, everything. Being an entrepreneur is about adding value. It's about creating the invisible and making the invisible visible. And, yes. and so, therefore, um, it, you know, what you're talking about really resonates with me. And that's why um, I feel with, with what, how, I, how I progressed from when I left high school and I got 56%. And it wasn't until I was 24 years old that I got a job as a recruiter where I actually found my feet, um, that I've, I've really put myself on a, on a, a learning path to, to try and learn as much as I can. And, and then of course, then I got married. Um, and then I put myself on a very, um, extensive and, um, and really, um, you know, full on learning process, being married and being a parent, of course, is when you really start to learn a lot of these important skills. And, and so um, um, that's why I really encourage people, books like yours, Mark, uh, to, to invest and to, to reconsider perhaps you know, what's not working, throw that out, uh, pick up something new and, and, and apply that. And so you know, congrats on what, you've, on what you've done and how you've applied yourself. Very no, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate it. And I love how you were describing it, even your description there. Um, you know, you encourage people to add value in the li lives of their families or even at work. I mean, that's that put add value personally or professionally, which it really ties into the whole the whole purpose of writing the book the way we have or the way I have. You know, it's yeah, it's real. I really appreciate it. My my thing um, when I do my keynotes, the first um, nugget that I share with people is the quality of your life is determined by the quality of the questions that you ask. Oh, so, yeah. in if you can ask better questions, and I I'm not a doctor, right? So. But if you put me in a um, in a surgery and they said, "All right, this is a you know emergency," I've got no idea. I've got no idea what question to ask. If you put me in a in a in a in a um, you know with a bunch of lawyers in a courtroom, I've got no idea what questions to ask. Right? So I'm not qualified or in any position to be of, of those professions. But if you are. Um, and you're very good, then you are, those guys are asked, know what questions to ask. In fact, one, my neighbor was doing some work in his garden a couple of months ago, and uh, he slipped and fell kind of about four meters down the embankment, hit his head and was unconscious. And thankfully, a guy driving past was a, he was a doctor. He was, a, he was actually an ophthalmologist, but he knew what better questions to ask than us, who were standing there with the blood on the, on the driveway uh, before the ambulance came. And... And I think um, that's the quest for all of us um, in terms of how we add value. And the, the one question with Booktopia that we've always asked is, what do our customers want? And we've yeah. asked that every day for 17, almost 17. Great question. Years. 
And, and by doing that and challenging that, what do our customers want? It means that we are not imposing our thinking, well, this is what they want. Um, and this is what we think they want. Um, it's just being constantly curious around that. Yeah. So when we haven't, um, as my uh, podcast is designed as plugged and unplanned, we just I go off it. on a tangent. Um, but is there something perhaps um, that we haven't talked about or you thought, oh, you know, like normally uh, someone would ask me this and you want to share something about you know, what you do in a, in a way that um, sheds a bit more light and hopefully inspires people to to get their credit card out and buy a book on Booktopia <laughs> or go into their store and ask for it because that's always helpful when to get a book moving is to go in and ask a bookseller if you've got Mark Carter's book, Add Value. Um, that, that quite often helps. Um, what anything that you think of that actually as you were talking i love you know, my so my main part of my business is that presenting like whether it's keynote or training programs and the one thing i actually deliver because i've come from learning and development i deliver to, i don't have a keynote i've got many but there's the one strength the one commonality is one thing which is people and behavior everything i do is around people and behavior people and behavior onboarding people into businesses leadership how do you be a better leader? Customer service experience or sales methods, right? How do you sell to it? But it's all underpinned by understanding people and behavior. And something you said there really resonates as well. So I don't have one keynote. I've got multiple. And But when I do ones on sales, the, the, I always say that if I was only allowed to train one skill in business, then the skill would be learn to ask better questions and be genuinely interested in the answers. Not just to move on to tick it off and go and pitch. Ask strategic, better questions of genuine interest and curiosity, because if you do that really well, you uncover all the gold where your solution, you know then how to position it and make sense, or you can relate to the person better, whatever that may be. So I love that you said that, because I go, yeah, it's definitely part of one of my philosophies in when I'm delivering to that part. Um, yeah, I think to do with my my work, my my style is very much storytelling. I'm a storyteller at heart. Um, you know, I mean, even my new style keynote, we've we've I've spent this time in lockdown. People thought I was writing the book. No, that was already done. I've been building out. I've got this style of keynote I call Sunny Lumiere. So I've got signature ones. I don't use clickers and PowerPoints. It's literally this cinematic movie backdrop that's taken about six months to produce and I'm presenting live to it. So it's like watching somebody described the other day, like watching a live Netflix documentary. So you've got this cinematic audio soundtrack thing playing out behind you and you're still doing the audience engagement and stuff. So that's kind of cool. And I think that's where I'm most comfortable, you know, when I'm doing live events, not because they say just because that's where you can feel that energy back and you can see the traction, you can see people's responses and the light bulbs going on. And that's the part of my work that I certainly find most rewarding. Writing, and I love the books I do there. There's a, as you called it out earlier, is it takes a lot of love to bring a book to life, and they do. Um, I'm always glad when it's done, though. So that's two down, and I can see that now. I already know what the next one's going to be, but right now I want to just, you know, focus on this one, ride this, deliver the programs to this, and and hopefully get. I think this timing for the book is very good, and I think it's worth reflecting on in that regard. Yeah. Peter Jackson's a pretty good um, director. Maybe with the trilogy out, you could get some <laughs> <laughs> some great great trilogy. The third book, you know, finally, um, and bring bring it all together. Um, that'll be that'll be fun. <laughs> it's it certainly will. It certainly will.
That's exciting. So what made you come up with the idea of doing the cinema, cinematic kind of backdrop? Um, how yeah, you... there's a couple of reasons. So one is um, I, I love yeah, creativity, right? Storytelling is part of the model because people learn and buy into things through storytelling. Creativity is. Personally, I love businesses like Pixar, Cirque du Soleil, businesses like this. And I love them not just for what they produce as entertainment, but I look at those and I think what's beautiful is that they're creating these sensory submersed experiences that draw people's attention in because we're sensory beings. It's part of the model as well. The more you can engage people's senses, the more you connect with them. So the purpose, I, I'd always been the storyteller, always used elements of that visual storytelling and video, but this is just ramping it right up, right? It's next level. So how can I get really creative to really make my keynotes, especially this sensory submersed experience that really draws people in. So they're learning, you know, through the imagery, through the colors, through the power of the stories, through the feeling that they get with the ambience and the audio soundtrack. So it's by deliberate design to draw people more in to connect with the content really is why I do it. Because if you do that, there's a greater chance they're going to get a light bulb moment and take something away and do it. If you're just there standing, talking the same way, the PowerPoint, it's easier for them to tune out, be distracted. This just draws more people in for more of the time. Therefore, you increase the chance of cut through with the messages where they can take something and apply it in their world. Mm, interesting. Wow. Makes, because my, you know, as you're saying that, I've, I've got all this imagery around um, because we're about to list on the ASX next week. and Yes, I heard. I was going to say congratulations as well. I heard that was happening. Fantastic. Yeah, thank you. And so it's like, oh, maybe shareholder annual general meetings with a bit of storytelling and a cin cinematic, like what would happen if it was, it sounds a bit Steve Jobs, um, but why not? Because uh, four years ago when we tried to list and the company was turning over 80 million and Amazon just announced they were coming to Australia, when you go and present to to fund managers, you're storytelling. It's literally yes. trying to get those guys to say, yeah, we'll be in for a million or five million or two million, put us down for half a million, whatever it is. And so you're doing these pitches and they've got lots of questions that they want to ask. And it's very different this time around because we're turning over 200 million and e-commerce and the pandemic has really shot a spotlight on e-commerce. It's really come to, come to age and other e-commerce businesses are doing really well. So storytelling was a little easier but it's the storytelling was still there um yeah. you know why books uh, why do people want to invest it, do, it never goes away and it just what you when you say that it's just like hold on a second um this is probably more important than you realize and it's not something um that you that i should overlook in terms of uh it's a technique and a tactic that you can really connect and have people understand what it is that you're you're trying to accomplish in fact one of the things that we did do was video our distribution center and how it all worked. And in fact, some of the automation that we're about to invest in next year, the robots, so they could see it. The seeing was easier than trying to yes. have them imagine it. Um, yes. And yes. and so there's there's a lot to be said in terms of those that are listening to this podcast about putting the effort into to create this these kind of these important um, stories that and they help you enable outcomes that you you're um, determined to achieve. Very, very interesting. Do you find that companies, is that, do you see companies doing that and you're going, that's really clever, that's uh, unique, are, we, are they doing it all the time and we're just not um, putting the effort in or, or, or realizing that that's something that really works? Yeah, I think 
a lot of people are doing this. Everybody's doing this and we do naturally get it, right? We're drawn into stories. Think about your holiday photos. If you go and try and show your friends a hundred holiday photos, they'll switch off. But if you tell them one great story about one photo, they're listening. It's the story, right, that draws them in. And there's different ways to do it. So, I mean, the, the way I'm doing those keynotes with the visual, with the video, with the sensory, with the ambience is just exploding it to the next level. But in its simplest form, finding a powerful story is a metaphor, right? Mm. There's something I often say, which is nobody has enough words or wisdom to tell somebody what they should think, not even the Dalai Lama, because they make that decision upstairs in their own mind. So you try telling a vegetarian they should eat a steak, right? Not going to happen. What you can do, though, is if you, where you've got a, a difference of opinions, when you can find a story that bridges the gap, it's got a link of relevancy to their world and a link to your angle, it helps people untangle their own thinking. And so this is the power of storytelling in so many ways. In business, personally, storytelling is really such a powerful tool. I think it's definitely, and again, you would have seen this, right, in, in your business, I'm sure, Tony, is that, you know, it's something that's now spoken more about, more people are given conscious effort. I think in some ways it's still underutilized in some degrees in business. You know, storytelling isn't the PowerPoint spreadsheet of a feature dump of your product. No, you can get more creative than that. So I think, yeah, finding the right metaphors, finding the right stories, engaging the senses, and the more you can do that is a really powerful tool. There's some businesses and that do it very well. Like I mentioned one, Pixar, I love Pixar, you know. Pixar movies are not for kids. They are for kids, but they're for adults too. I, I know so many adults that love Pixar movies and the messaging of each movie, it just carries so many beautiful, powerful me messages relevant for our time, right? Mm. If you think about Wally, -E, the movie Wally, -E, and that, that really talks to our overindulgence of what we're doing planet and dumbing ourselves down by relying on tech. And isn't that where we're at right now to some degree? We're seeing that play out. So I think, yes, yeah, storytelling and s getting people submersed into those stories helps them see different things they may want to adopt in their own world. Obviously, movie producers and directors, that's their business storytelling, of course. Um, but aside from Pixar and, and all the other great um, companies that are Disney that have created so many stories, who, who do you see outside of that realm? Yeah, sure. Who does it really well? I'll, I'll tell you one company that springs to mind that do this from what I've seen really well, and it and it makes sense given the business they're in, but it is a company called Qualtrics. So Qualtrics are a, an experience management company. They specialize in tools that looks at the experiences, and they talk about product experience, brand experience, customer experience, employee experience, and how you leverage those. So given their business model is that, it's it makes sense then that when they whenever I've seen their events, they pull together these amazing events and the storytelling and the way they do those events is really quite proud. Well, I was impressed this from the first time I saw it. and even the tools, the way they design the tools and the tools balance this. They really get, they talk about O data being operational data. What I'd relate to as tangible value, dollars, percentages, numbers, time. But then you've got this whole other experience data, the emotional stuff. It's all the other ones in my model. And what they do is they learn to blend those very well. So they're very good. They're just a classic example, I think, in business, Qualtrics, experience management. And they've got a bunch of tools that really blend this world of the value language of business, measurable stuff with everything else. Mm, I take a look at that. So, sounds like it's, it's, we're very much in our, um, in our infancy in this area in terms of really, I mean, obviously ads, people who do ads, and that's one of the things about the Super Bowl people love the ads on at the Super Bowl because there's always 
um, is they they want to they want to be entertained and inspired and and they want to be they they, they want to see how clever the the advertising people are that that must be very much a part of being one of the you know, the great advertisers you've got a 30 seconds or a minute or 15 seconds to somehow get that that across to somebody it's it's it, that's where the talent is i assume yes yes exactly that's the talent is learning to tell a powerful story it's like writing a book right writing is one thing it's the power of the edit as well right mm. coming up with the idea how do you edit that to its most succinct version that people can relate to as well that's not too out there that they can't relate to it either I mean, so there's some wonderful storytellers, but they go so far esoteric um, that, you know, it's like, wow, it's kind of lost on some people when you can pull it back where it's more easily relatable. I actually do one of my programs is on this. I call Orator, which is literally presentation skills training, uh, which builds in this sort of stuff so that we can all do it better. And it's literally finding strong links of relevancy between whatever story you're telling to the person's world. It's just in its simplest form. Mm. So when, when you, you just trigger something for me, a lot of people don't realize when, uh, and a lot of people obviously contact me that they've got a book, they've written a book, they've, in, during COVID, they sat in front of their keyboard and wrote a book, um, or over the years they've done that. Um, and you just referred to the edit process, which a lot of people don't realize that all great books um, and all great, the greatest authors in the world really rely on other people, editors, yes. to really um, finish off the book. H how much of a, being a storyteller, how much did you have to put your foot down? How much did you have to concede to uh, Wiley and their and their um, ed the editorial team to go? All right, I I give in. Was it uh, a was it argy bargy or was it or no. was it? Pretty no, I'll tell you. That, so I'd learned a long time ago, like, even before I did my first book, because I, I worked with specialists on the first book too, and I got friends that are editors. And they taught me a long time ago that as a right, when you're writing, when you're working with an editor, you've got to learn to trust, as long as you trust the editor, learn to let go of your babies is the line that one of my friend Nicola told me. And I've, I've lived by that. And when I went into this project with Wilder, I said, look, I'm going to, my part is to do what I do well. And then it's to let go and trust. And, and I think if you've got that trust, which I do and certainly did with Wilder, being fantastic and the dedicated editor that worked with me my, uh, for the majority of it, Sandra was fantastic. And I said the same to her, like, I pretty much, whatever you think we're going to roll with. But at the same time, there's something I feel strongly or whatever about, I'll let you know why. But, and then if you still want to change it, go for it and change it. Not a problem. And I, I'd like to think you'd have to ask Wiley or Sandra what that process was. Like. But my understanding is, I think that was a very, certainly my side. I, I tried to make it as easy and smooth and just relinquish. There was one part, actually, it's funny because when, when Sandra started the editing, she, my, my mom's a librarian, 40 years, just retired. And mom was my informal editor. I was writing the first version, mom editor, write the second version, mom edits, write the third, mom edits, write the fourth. So mom did all the ed informal edits. By the time it got to Wiley and Sandra said, oh, look, you, you, your storytelling is wonderful. She goes, the biggest challenge I'm going to have is edit that down. Um, we want to try and get down a little bit, but your, your stories are so wonderful without losing your voice. And we managed that. But there was, I remember there's one part, and it was to do with senses in the book when, if you, when people read it. I was describing uh, our senses and then how people kind of favor some over others. And when my mom edited that part of the book, she loved it because she really related to it. She was like, oh, my God, this is just like me with a husband. And it was one of her favorite kind of small segments in the book. 
And Sandra in the editing was going, I think we can edit this bit down. And I said, and I actually said, yeah, cool. No problem. Like if you think we need to edit down, edit down. I said, just so you know, though, that was mom's favorite part, I think, in the book because she really related to it. And I remember Sandra went, okay, we're going to keep that bit in there. <laughs> I think that was the, that was the one funny one that sprang to mind. But other than that, you know, I, I, I think I pretty much went, yep, 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 yep. I try and, you know, you try and make it as easy as possible and, trust because they're brilliant you know and it's same as the the cover the title the final title you've got your working title but the final title the subtitle the blurb on the back the cover design all these things you you trust that you're working with professionals and therefore as a writer let go of that you give your input but let people do what they do really well right as a leader in a business same thing stop trying to force people to do it the way you want or think let them do what they're great at because that's how you're going to get a better result. And I think the same is true when you're working with an editor. Learn to trust. Find the right editor and then let go. Trust that process because it is an important part of the process for sure. There's a lot of people who, who are very protective of their babies and and are offended when when someone wants to recommend something different. So it's good good insight from you to for those that are listening who are, who are budding authors and and uh, and we'll come up against that bridge and you'll need to cross it on your journey to get a bestseller. So, Mark Carter, thank you so much for coming on the program and sharing your wisdom and your insights and your storytelling. And and we wish you all the success with your book, Add Value. Mark Carter, you can get it at Booktopia. You can get it at all great bookstores um, and across Australia. And I assume it's probably going to be going around the world. Yes. Probably in New Zealand, if your mum has anything to do with it, um, she's probably your best salesman on the ground over there. Uh, and uh, and thanks again. Any any final words just before no, we part? No, I'd just like to say thanks very much, Tony. Thanks for having me on, and thanks for you know the support that Booktopia are giving as well. Like it's great, and I've I, I've got you guys listed as a preferred for that online as well because I love. I think the business model you've got is great. Congratulations again on the listing with the uh, stock exchange. That's fantastic. I hope that goes really well as well. So thanks. It's been awesome chatting with you this morning. Thank you so much. Yeah, look forward to next time. All the best. Thanks, Tony. Cheers, mate. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia. Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au